Uh, what do you get when you mix hobos, whitey tighties, and Jamaican holidays? You get a good reason to watch movies after work. Hey there, guys. I'm Thomas. And I'm Alex Duez. Welcome to Movies After Work. Today we were talking about the 1986, you didn't even know it existed, film FX. <laughs> you, you, not the channel. We're not no, recording. Yeah. We're not. We're not giving our opinion about the entire network of <laughs> FX. Just the movie. Because, yes, there is a movie out there called FX. Yeah, you texted me, do you want to talk about the movie FX? And I, I've, I'm pretty sure in my head I was just like, what? I don't, <laughs> well, I don't I was, know what you're talking I was, about. I was waiting for you to respond with, what, the, the, wait, are we just reviewing an entire t- TV <laughs> channel? Like, do, do you want to talk about Archer or, or It's Always Sunny? Yeah, like, is I mean, that what a lot you're, of, a lot of good stuff is there. that what you're wanting to talk about? Like, <laughs> I was waiting for that and then, Yeah. But uh, this this is uh, available on Amazon Prime. Yep. Um, something we've done for the last couple episodes is waited till the end to say whether or not we sh- we advise people to watch this. And I realize oh, we should probably like put that at the top of the show. Oh, you want to jump the gun on that? No, I just want to tell people uh, should you should you stop listening and go go try to watch it and then come back, or should you just listen to us rehash a bit of it. Well, I always recommend on a certain level that if people are able to watch the movies mm-hmm. before listening, they should, just so that way they understand yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, that's up to people. You know, we we can't force anyone to watch to watch movies. Not after, uh, not after the cops came and talked to us. <laughs> I mean... Top level for me, you can watch this movie, but you probably won't remember it. <laughs> no, no, you probably... Here's the thing. This is not a bad movie. No, no, not by any means. But it's a dumb movie. <laughs> Very it's not bad, so. but it's dumb. You know who didn't think it was bad at all? The, Ro- stu- the studio. Roger Ebert. Three and a half stars out of four stars. <laughs> Can I tell you that I hate the four star rating scale? But Jesus, good <laughs> lord. Three and a half stars out of, out like, that was the first thing I did was Google this movie. And that was one of the first bits of information I found. And I'm like, this, that's fucking astonishing. Well, if he liked it, then I assume that Leonard Moulton probably picked it as one of his favorite movies of the year. Because <laughs> um, that always seems to be the way. But no, the, the number one. To like this film, the studio, because mm-hmm. it got a sequel yeah. and a series that lasted two seasons and a television channel. <laughs> I'm gonna lock you in my dog's crate. <laughs> That's what's about to happen here. Well, but before we dive too too much more into this film, uh, or at least what we can remember of it, mm-hmm. um, talk about some of the trailers that came out since we last recorded. Uh, yeah. First and foremost, we just today got the final trailer for Stranger Things Season 3. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, it's it's falling into the same trope that happens to anything like this. You know, the, the first season, it got all this praise because it was this, like, tightly knit, condensed, like, story that felt big but it wasn't it was very like not that many locations yes. like not that much like it all kind of like 
you know, it has that one episode where they end up in the compound where everything kind of just goes batshit crazy, but beyond that, it's very tight knit. And we're getting to the inevitable point that always happens with stuff that gets that kind of praise, yeah. where now everything is just big, gigantic budget, like really, like to the point where by if this if this show gets any more seasons, by season five, people will be going, can we just make it a show about these kids hanging out because that's the only thing I like anymore because yeah. it's the only thing left from the original season. Yeah. Uh, well, I I, uh, I only watched about the first half of season one. Um, I just kind of fell out of it. It didn't, it didn't get its hooks into me. And it's, it's something that I you know, have thought about revisiting, but I don't have a huge urge to. Um, I actually haven't seen this trailer yet. I saw that it dropped, um, but it's something that I don't have an interest in. Well, it's going to mean nothing to you if you've yeah. never watched the first two seasons. Yeah. Or more than half of the first season. I mean, the first season, the stuff that works, works great. Mm -hmm. But that's not everything. There's yeah. a lot about it that just doesn't work. Um, in terms of like, kind of like the movie Super 8, mm -hmm. where the stuff about just the kids being kids is phenomenal. Yeah. Top notch stuff. Um, but you get into some of the like big conspiracy government thing and you know, you spend most of the first season going, so wait, there's this gigantic evil corporation that lives right next door to this small town and nobody knows that this corporation exists and nobody who lives in this small town is employed by this corporation? <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it's literally like saying in our small town, you know, we live in a small town where you have three places to get groceries. One of them is Walmart, yet for some reason nobody who lives in the small town works at that Walmart and we didn't even know it was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then the second season, I literally watched the second season because I was bored one day mm -hmm. and had to watch something. Yeah. And I just turned it on. And before I knew it, the season was over. Yeah. And the season ends with no real cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. The, the se season two literally ends with the quote unquote cliffhanger of, you know that thing we didn't kill? Plot twist, it's still alive. <laughs> That's literally the the cliffhanger yeah. of season two. So you're left with nothing to go into this season with outside of, I really like these kids. Like, basically, this show is going to hinge on the coupling of Finn and Millie. The, the two children leads mm -hmm. and then the bromance of um little Jean Ralphio, you know, teenage Jean Ralphio mm -hmm. for Parks and Rec's people. Um and then the kid who has the reality show that's gonna get cancelled before it even airs. Um which one is that? It's the the short kid with the curls. Um he has a reality show coming out on Netflix that's going to the main thing that it's focusing on what it's targeting is unemployed people trying to find jobs. Okay. And everyone's yeah. response to it has been, 
cancel this show right now. Yeah. And maybe we'll want to watch stuff that this kid is in in the future. Because I'm pretty sure the second that show airs and people watch a single episode, mm-hmm. Stranger Things will have to... They'll either have to cancel that show or write him off of the series. Because I feel like <laughs> people are going to be like, we're not watching any more Stranger Things as long as you have this show on. Yeah. yeah. Like, of all the things... Netflix has canceled all the Marvel... The Marvel shows. Yeah. They've canceled Santa Clarita Diet. Mm-hmm. They've... I can't even keep... Basically, they cancel anything that if it's in its first two or three seasons hasn't gotten them any awards. Yeah. Or at least nominations. Mm-hmm. They cancel it. So at this point, the only Netflix original series that I watch is Big Mouth. Yeah. Because every other one I watch, they've canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, so the f- fact that they... You know... The fact that you're going to have this kind of an offensive reality TV show starring a kid who's never had to worry about working in his life when he's not even old enough to need to work. Yeah. To be mocking and picking on people that are unemployed as somebody who went through months of unemployment with a kid. Yeah. Um, how that's going to get made, but they didn't want to keep making the Joel McHale show. A show that would rightfully mock and insult this show. This show, show, yeah. And it's almost like they canceled Joel McHale because they knew the Joel McHale show would literally just be... They'd do like an entire episode dedicated to saying, fuck this network. Yeah. You know, fuck fuck these people. That was was a running joke of the Joel McHale show was like, let's constantly do the Netflix boom boom. Like, like just poking fun at Netflix all the time. Like... That they... Like everything of theirs... Constantly, you have to hear that damn sound. Yeah, with everything involved with yeah. them. Yeah, and you like every series that they're that they're pushing is series that they want to put up for Emmys and every mm-hmm. sort of award. You know, yeah, so stuff like Glow. They like, want awards. Yeah, one hundred percent. They want awards. Stuff like Glow. Stuff like Stranger Things. He does nothing but pick at because it's it's just Emmy baits, basically. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't even pick on those shows that badly. He just yeah. he just acknowledges them. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, yeah, the so those two relationships on the show of, of on Stranger Things, they're the only reason I would watch the third season. Yep, and it's not enough for me to watch it, just because the show has the really bad habit of. We have a lightning bug in here, and it's pissing us off. Um, <laughs> it has the the bad habit, the bad eighties habit, and to part of the nineties um, that we gotten rid of, and then these guys brought it back of insufferably evil characters that are in the real world, free of consequence on a ridiculous level, mm-hmm. like. The amount, the the ways that the bullies in the first season are harassing, violently harassing these kids in front of, you know, in areas with adults. Yeah. And there's no consequence. Ridiculous. The brother, who it looks like is going to be the main villain of season three, um, who, like, he's like this weird, like, rapist sort of thing and like he's excessively evil to the point of you just sitting there going he's not subtle about it yeah 
somebody's got to have noticed and done something about it by now. Yeah. I, it's frustrating to me. It's kind of like um, Dolores Umbridge in Harry Potter. Yeah. Where you're just sitting there the whole time I'm reading the fifth book. I was just like, <laughs> no. They're like... You are, it is beyond everything else that's not realistic in this, yeah. like an entire society built off of people with a fifth grade reading level. Um, <laughs> the idea that everyone in this community has, in this wor- entire world, is watching this woman behave in this manner. Yeah. And she's like favoritizing the, like, globally hated house of of people that were that we know are going to be evil but we're yeah. going to give them the education anyway <laughs> yeah um instead of like oh the hat announced slytherin uh, on this way you're going to go straight into the jail cell um <laughs> we're just going to cut to the chase um but she, like yeah so it's just that sort of characterizing thing and this show's really guilty of it yeah to the point where it's frustrate like the character shows up and you immediately get frustrated yeah because you know they're literally just there for a for the purpose of the plot only douchebag behavior yeah something or other but yeah I don't I, I'm losing track the show sucks Netflix can go fuck themselves <laughs> um, in a lot of ways um I think people will watch this season. I think after this season, they, they've got to make a serious change to mm-hmm. what they're doing or else they're going to start seeing viewership drop drastically yeah. with the show. Yeah. It's going to be like, you know, nobody talks about Orange is the New Black anymore because there's only so many times you can go, look, women are naked and having sex. <laughs> Before people go, yeah. Yeah, we have the internet. We don't need you for this. <laughs> um, on to a better streaming service, though, in my humble opinion. No, I agree. On to, <laughs> on to Hulu. Uh, they have a new documentary about to come out. Uh, the Unauthorized Amazing Jonathan documentary. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Amazing Jonathan fan. I was very sad when he uh, had to stop performing. And so when I found out they were making this documentary about all the the strange circumstances post that medical discovery yeah. for him, I, I was immediately transfixed. And for people, I mean, you, you weren't super familiar. The Amazing Jonathan, he's this magician slash comedian. He does shock value stuff. He was, you know, heavy in the circuit. And then he did a Comedy Central Presents half-hour special that really got people's attention. Yeah, and that's did, how I'm most familiar with him. He did years in Vegas. Um, he, he for a while, was a staple, not unlike Penn & Teller, Celine Dion, yeah. uh, Blue Man Group. Some, somebody that was there, you knew that you knew that they were good enough that they could leave if they wanted to, unlike uh, Wayne Newton or whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> um, Leatherface. <laughs> Um, some of it's good enough to leave if they want to, but they're, you know, they're performing there because they enjoy it. Um, and then he was given a year to live because of a heart disease, Mm -hmm. but years later, still alive, looking to get back out on the road. And so people started going, did he really have it? Or was this a prank? Cause he was known for, uh, perpetuating and supporting really, really terrible pranks yeah. yeah like not so much terrible as in like just cruel and evil but like 
really elaborate. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite stories about him, just because I feel like it's such an in a nutshell thing, is he was the best man for Weird Al Yankovic's wedding. Really? And so for the bachelor party that happened the night before, he took everyone paintball shooting. <laughs> so Weird Al got married with a bunch of paintball welts, welts yeah. and bruises <laughs> on his body. Um, and I guarantee, like, with everything I've ever watched of Amazing Jonathan, I 100% believe that was part of why he chose to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, the, the thing that, the, the documentary looks very interesting. Um, the trailers makes it look very interesting. I want to check it out whenever it comes to the service. The thing that gets me the most excited about it is the fact that, um, uh, the Bill Finger documentary, um, uh, Batman, Batman and Bill, and Bill. Th- that and the documentary on, uh, George Lazenberry, um, Oh, Becoming Bond. Becoming Bond. Phenomenal. Both of those documentaries are incredible. And if you haven't watched those, you absolutely need to do yourself a favor and watch both of them immediately. Really, in general, if you can find good documentaries about the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. you always want to get your hands on them. Um, Amazon Prime has one called I Know That Voice, which is all about voice actors. Yeah. It's amazing. Um if you can ever get your hands on a copy of it, uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, yeah. the Disney documentary about their uh, the Disney Renaissance that happened mm-hmm. in the late eighties with Little Mermaid, Lion King, a lot um, of those films. Another Hulu documentary, Too Funny to Fail, about the Dana Carvey show, yes. is incredible, mm-hmm. and it um, it's one of those documentaries where it always you always see those documentaries where. They're talking about a lot of famous people and mm-hmm. not getting the people that you actually want to sit down and talk about this stuff yeah. with. And they're actually talking to Dana Carvey. They're actually talking to Stephen Colbert. They're actually talking to Steve Carell. Um, too Big to Fail, or Too Funny to Fail, is such an incredible comedy documentary. Yeah. Um, no, that one's a great one. Um, there was another one I was going to recommend. There's a lot of really great documentaries yeah. out there. Unfortunately, some of them, there's one, uh, oh, Amazon Prime has one about the, the Fantastic Four film that 20th Century Fox made with no intention of ever releasing it. Okay. Um, it's called Doomed, appropriately, <laughs> and it's fascinating to watch because they basically, in the 90s, they made a Fantastic Four film just to retain the rights. Yeah. So the rights wouldn't revert back. And the it's hysterical just because of the fact that you have all of these people that were making this movie that were so hopeful. And it's painful because you know where the story's going and you're listening to them tell you about how they felt in the, during the process. Yeah. And so you know exactly where it's going. Yeah. And it's just painful. It's kind of like watching a really excruciating episode of The Office. Yeah. It's kind of like that. It's like watching a, a Scott's Tots. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the, yeah. That's that the painful one, one everyone. Yeah. <laughs> that that one where you know at the end, you, you know that he's not going to have the money for what he promised and that he's got to just tell them. And you're listening to all of them tell their plans of what they're going to do. Yeah. Nope, that's it. That's exactly it. Um, uh, moving on to the... 
the next trailer we'd like to talk about. Um, you had a question to ask me about okay. trolls. So yes, yeah, so I I am a huge fan of Rachel Bloom. I was a big fan of hers before Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I watched the series for the most part as it aired. I don't watch shows during their first season because they get canceled. Mm. Every single time. Yeah. Like the Joel McHale show. <laughs> I got cocky with that one. I got too trusting that it was going to do all right. Um, but once the show got picked up for a second season, I watched the whole first season. I watched it every week yeah. after that yeah. until it ended. Um, so she's in Angry Birds 2 and Trolls 2. Mm-hmm. So I watched both those trailers don't necessarily know if I'm going to go see the movies. Yeah. But I wanted to watch the trailers because she's going to be in both movies. You immediately, like, I mentioned Trolls and you were like, Trolls, that's the one. You pulled out your phone and brought up YouTube and immediately started to put in. So I have to ask, were you a fan of the first Trolls movie? I loved the first Trolls movie. <laughs> to a... To a, like, ridiculous degree. I was tasked with watching my girlfriend's, like, employee's kids uh, one day. And we happened to take them to a movie, and we watched Trolls. And I, like, I think my girlfriend was pregnant at the time, so I got to do the dad practice. I had all the all the snacks in my hand. I got everyone in their seats. I, like, went to the concession stand, you know, just making multiple trips and shit. Mm-hmm. I got everyone in their seats, and I enjoyed that movie more than anyone else in that I was about to say, it sounds, like, it sounds like you enjoyed it the most. I absolutely did. Um, I've had my own experience like that, and I'll, I'll mention it here once you're done. But... Trolls was just such a weird, like, I, I, it's one of those guilty pleasure movies. Like, it's a movie that I do think it's legitimately good, but I like it a lot more than it is a good film. Like, (laughs) if I see that The Sorcerer's Apprentice is on TV, stop whatever the fuck I'm doing, because Jay Baruchel and Nicolas Cage on screen together has my- Alfred Molina. Absolutely, him as well. Has my attention for an hour and a half. Like I hate that I've never seen that film. Oh God, do yourself a fucking favor. It is so good. As soon as I have Disney Plus, once that's <laughs> out, I'm sure that'll be on the service. They won't admit it, but it'll be there it's, for people to watch. It's a movie that I've watched more times than I'd like to admit. It's it's definitely up over five times. Um, Trolls is kind of in a similar vein. I, I absolutely love Trolls. And you got a really sincere, genuine reaction when you saw me watching the trailer. And I was trying to, I was trying to hide my cards. I was trying to play oh, it close you to were, the close You to the were chest. being so reserved. You were, like, you were being so reserved. Like, it, you literally had that, it, it was like you just found out that you got a royal flush, mm-hmm. but you didn't want anyone to know sort of poker oh, yeah. face. yeah. And then finally it just got to one point in the trailer and you were done and you just started laughing. I don't know, man. Something about those trolls, they just make me laugh. They're just fucking funny. And Justin Timberlake is just he's just charismatic. He's he, just No, he is. There's he, there's no doubt about that. You look up charisma in the dictionary and it's just Justin Timberlake on SNL <laughs> doing a fucking dick in a box, like, you know, viral short with uh with Andy Sandberg. Um 
keeping keeping that show funny. We appreciate it. What is what is your uh, guilty pleasure? You know, guilty pleasure cartoon movie. Okay, no, it's actually not a cartoon movie. But okay. when I was when I was a teenager, uh, my friend and I, uh, he and I went to go see with his girlfriend. We went to go see the holiday, the uh, Kate Winslet, mm-hmm. uh, Cameron Diaz, Jude Law, Jack Black uh, yeah. romantic comedy. We were the only three people under, I'd say, 35, yeah. if not 40, yeah. in that theater. And he and I were the only men in the theater. That's not surprising. She had to leave at one point during the movie to go to work. We, under no circumstances, <laughs> were leaving that movie. We were enjoying it too much. <laughs> we loved it. We rode all the way home blasting Mushroom Head, which is a heavy metal screamer band. We had them blasting in the car going, that was so good. I mean, they were just, you know, the chemistry was great. Yeah. Jack Black and Kate Winslet, they make so much sense together. And like, mm-hmm. and that, and then it was literally, so we went and we were hanging out for the rest of the day after that. And then she got off work and said, you know, I haven't been able to get the movie out of my head. I want to finish it. And we were just like, we're on our way. And we went and we saw it twice in one day. Both times, the only two guys. Yeah. And the only three people under the age of 35 or 40. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm to me, I, I will always take that with pride. I sincerely, sincerely hope it was the same ticket taker and same concession employees and they're just like, what the fuck? Did you guys have deja oh, vu today? Oh, not just that. <laughs> he and I worked at that movie theater. Oh, okay. So <laughs> it was people that we knew, the managers that knew us going, dude, <laughs> really? Again? Again? You're going again? Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you got, you're going to be the only guys in there again. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be, we're going to get complaints. Like, there's two dudes just like sitting weirdly in the theater. Yeah. We'll sit near the front. We don't care. We've already watched it. We know what's going on. Like, we've seen it once. We can probably already quote it. It was that good. Just give us the tickets. <laughs> well, it had a good cast. That's a, that's a lot of it. Did. That's a lot of charisma it really did. in that, in that it cast. It really did. Um, but, it, yeah. No. Um, Trolls 2. Angry Birds 2. I mean, they look you fine. See, they look like they look like kids' movies. They look fine. They look like there's going to be some stuff that's funny. and. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we've discussed Angry Birds 2 on here yet. But I don't need to see any trailers for that. I don't know if I'm going to see it in theaters, but I will absolutely 100% see that movie because it is Thro Van Orman, who is the creator and voice of Flapjack from the Misadventures of Flapjack. Um, it is his directorial debut for a feature film. Ah, uh, okay. And I, Misadventures of Flapjack was one of the best shows on Cartoon Network. It was so stupid and surreal and like ridiculous and it got way too many years on the on on tv <laughs> i yeah for me the, what i appreciate with the angry birds movies it, you know the first movies had um ian and anthony from smosh okay they each did like major character voices like yeah. not just like one or two lines like they each played specific yeah. birds that you could play on angry well, birds the cast was like, like way so much better than it should have deserved been. to be. Yeah, exactly. Like, you could tell that the company that makes Angry Birds, they were putting a lot of money into yeah. it and gave people offers they couldn't refuse money wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, the second one has Rachel Bloom. So, like, and then, you know, yeah, 
Bill Hader, it's hard to say no to Bill Hader. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Um, so yeah, those movie movie to weirdly be excited for, even if you're not excited for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, speaking of not being excited for something, <laughs> my first note for FX mm-hmm. is shit. Orion. <laughs> you see, my first note for FX was, oh, Orion. So I know we're in for a classic. Yes. <laughs> because if you've watched uh, Clifford, you know Orion pumps out the most forgettable gems of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Clifford, or Orion was a studio that... Really, really wanted to be the next New Line Cinema. Yeah. Clearly wanted to be the next New Line Cinema. Mm -hmm. And so they put out... You can basically watch 90% of what they were responsible for releasing in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And you can take your pick of any of those five of... Any five of those movies as why they went out of business. Yeah. Uh, there was a studio called Gramercy that was in the 90s, and it was, like, weird golden dude with, like, hands in the air, kind of like he's praising something yeah. with, like, a G on the ground. Um, that was the 90s version of Orion, yeah. where they were just, like, comp- you know, studios that just didn't didn't know what they were doing. They might have had someone who was okay artistically, but they didn't have somebody who knew what they were doing business-wise. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, whenever I see Orion for a movie that was from the eighties, I panic. Yeah, I panic just a little bit, just I a mean, little bit. I panic. I mean, for me, if it's Clifford or Child's Play, I'm I'm on board. So yeah, I uh, well yeah, and then I immediately go into the opening credits, which I I noted that they were a tour of all the potential genres that we could have gotten. <laughs> Like there's a like for a little bit there's a legit cunt, like western yeah music playing mm-hmm. in it. Then at one point it switches over to like a jazzy film noirish thing. Like it goes through all these different genres. And I'm sitting there going, uh, "Are you? Do I like? Do I press one for like? Do I vote? Am I voting for which genre I want based yeah. off of the score? Like, <laughs> and the score never gets better. The score pretty much lives in that state of." What are we doing? Make up your fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. It lives there permanently for the whole movie. The the worst thing that I did before watching this movie was watch the trailer. Because I wanted some gauge as to what am I getting myself into. And I ruined the opening scene for me. Because the opening scene is one of the most interesting things in the film. Because it's a guy walking into a restaurant about to shoot up the place. Mm-hmm. And... You watch the trailer, and it shows you that scene basically in its entirety. You knew exactly <laughs> that we were on a set. Someone else cut. Like, it sucks. Because if if I had seen that scene in the film, that would have been genuinely like, oh, what's going on? Like, See, I watched that scene going, I really hope that we're about to reveal this is a movie he's working on. Otherwise, this is going to be even rougher than I thought. Um... I'll tell you what though they they knew something mm-hmm. they they definitely knew something when they were making this movie because they definitely knew that you would want to watch Ellen die twice in the movie. <laughs> they knew that once wasn't going to be enough. That you were going to want two times 
to watch her get gunned down. You know that that was the worst part because Ellen is the is one of the only likable characters in this whole movie. You know, I, okay. How many times do I like? I look. Fourth note. Fourth note is Ellen is gonna die, right? Like, oh, she's gonna die. And then and then I put um, at one point I put don't pretend that she is smart. <laughs> and then immediately after, please kill Ellen. And then immediately, and I wrote that right before she was killed. And then right after she was shot, in all caps, I wrote, yay. Every other, wo- every other woman in this movie is awesome. No. Like, Andy is the worst. She is arguably the worst person n- in this film. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. Do you think he would have gotten into half the trouble he would have gotten into if he had had Andy along going, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like, she was actually asking all the questions that he should have been asking. Wow. We just have a difference of opinion on this one. I mean, let's be honest. We're going to throw down. That's that's what's going to (laughs) happen. Let's be honest. I don't remember a fucking thing that happened in this movie. So... You could be, you could very well be right, but the, <laughs> l- let's agree who is the best woman in this movie. Velez. Thank you. Yes. Thank of you. Of course, I put, I may be in love with Velez. I'm in love with Velez. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm no, there's no her. question that She's... she is the best woman in this. All right, we can agree upon that. She's the best woman. The worst woman is Lipton. <laughs> Lipton is the worst woman in the movie. So... This move. Let's this, let's break it down a little bit. Oh yes, please. <laughs> I, you might have to take the reins on this. Yes, um, I want. I so, want to hear you try to explain it, though. I want to hear it. It's there's two cops working in witness protection. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get a mob boss murdered in public because if he testifies against the mob, the mob will kill him, and if the mob thinks he's dead. Then they won't put a hit out on him. They want him fake dead. Yes, exactly. They, they want him fake dead, not real dead. Yeah. Very important so distinction. <laughs> they hire an FX artist to... Or a special effects artist, <laughs> if you will. To kill him in public so that the mob doesn't put a hit on him. So he thinks that he's going to fake kill him. Mm-hmm. But he thinks that he really kills him. Spoiler alert for the last 20 minutes of the movie. He doesn't actually kill him? Okay, here's and here's another thing that I put... And where did I put that note? I Because I want to make sure I get it right. Yeah, I put... They call it a real murder enough to make me think it wasn't real. Because they don't... He, he never says, I murdered him. He goes... It was a real murder. I really murdered him. He always... They always <laughs> quantify it with the word real. They never just say... Murdered, yeah, killed. They always quantify it with the word real, yeah. And finally, about halfway through the movie, maybe a little bit further, I finally was like, okay, he's fucking alive, yeah. I get it. Lumiere is alive. <laughs> you see, <laughs> I never got that, and I'm not saying that this film is smarter than me, I'm saying it's more convoluted, but you liked Ellen. <laughs> You liked Ellen, who basically... She was so, nice. She was just nice to come home to. Now, and I was okay. watching it at 12.30 at night, and that's what I wanted <laughs> right then. 
You just like because in one scene she's in a sheer negligee thing making food. That's the whole reason you liked her. They don't even eat the food. No, they just get straight to fucking. Yeah, no, they don't. He knows better than to eat her food. Like that's. Well, whatever she was cooking looked it's, like alien flesh, so he was probably better off. It's literally. She has like three scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. First scene, she's in front of her boyfriend, hitting on everyone. Yeah. Second scene, he comes to her place and she is dicing every food item that she has in the house and has it spread all out over the kitchen. Not planning on doing anything else with it. Just dicing it. Just literally just cutting it up. Just Look, I was doing something. I was busy. Um, You're crazy. It's literally like they told her to just be busy and then they never told her cut in between takes. And she just I mean, kept going. She just kept pulling stuff. Like if they like, there's there are lost takes of her like cutting into pieces a box of cocoa puffs. <laughs> no, I don't no. even think she could have figured out that she needed to stop. But no, so that's her second scene. Her third scene is her being convinced that she's figured out the movie, that mm-hmm. she's figured out the evil plot going on. Yeah, and then immediately. Flings the blinds open and gets shot and dies. <laughs> that like you can't you can't leave out her fourth scene, her her scene stealing role where she becomes a prop that he drags around the floor. Oh, that was the <laughs> see. I love that. Oh no no that was great because it literally was just let's take this female character and <laughs> make her just a prop that I hide behind. Yes, now, he never checked to see if she was alive or dead. He literally is just... he didn't care. Let me, <laughs> let me put her body in front he of me. He an opportunity. And rifle through her purse to find a makeup mirror so I can find the shooter. That was broken. Like, why does she not take care of her stuff? It was already broken. Pretty badly. <laughs> I know. I think it was implied that it happened in... I don't know. No. There's, there was no implying. You are giving the movie too much credit. The Again, mo- the movie is, is giving the movie too movie. much credit. <laughs> This is a dumb movie. I was watching the movie, and I'm like 45 minutes in, and I'm just doing a cursory, just Google search Mm -hmm. of the movie, and I see the, like, poster or or box art for the film, Mm -hmm. and Brian Dennehy's on the front, and I'm like, he's not in the movie, (laughs) He gets gets introduced forty five minutes, almost almost an hour into. He comes in to save the movie. He absolutely (laughs) comes in to save the movie. He does like, like literally. I wrote, "Save me, Brian Dennehy." (laughs) That's the other great thing about Ellen dying is that her dying makes them call him Uh to come help out. So we get rid of her and we bring in Brian Dennehy. We upgrade. Yeah. It's a, literally, it's like going from, okay, I'm sitting in the back of the plane yeah. to I've got a first class seat. That's that's what happens. <laughs> this movie is filled with like, I know that guy from somewhere. I know that guy from somewhere. Oh, there's a lot of that. Like, that's everyone. Fucking Gordon from Sesame Street is, is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I forget all the time what a big deal Brian Dennehy was, like, at this time. Oh, yeah. Like... Let me just casually drop this in. I know my friend went to college with Brian Dennehy's do- granddaughter. 
and I've met her, so I'm like one degree of separation. You're, you're not that Dennehy. far away. You're a stone's throw. Yeah. Also, it means nothing to me. The, the film I like with him the most, and it is probably Ratatouille. Oh, your God. He's Remy's father. He does a good job. Um, but anyway, yes, well, he no. comes in to save the movie. Yes, but in, I knew I wasn't going to like the main character when we had the whole dialogue exchange of, have you ever heard of witness protection and relocation? No, I've never heard of it. <laughs> oh, well, basically, and he explains it to him, and then his response is, oh, yeah, I did a movie about that. <laughs> then how do you not know what it is? Your Australian accent is just so on point. I'm not respecting it. I'm not respecting him enough to give him a real Australian accent. Um... They literally do that, like, they do that, and I'm just like, okay, so I don't have to like this guy. Good. Yeah. That's, that's fine. I, that, that makes me work on that easier. Um, if you want to make a fun game, a drinking game out of this movie, take a shot every time they say a terrible movie title. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't say bathtubs of blood, I said, the, the, literally, literally, it was like the weirdest game of Mad Libs it's, that they had to have played to come up with all of these titles. It was like Castlevania subtitles. That was the game. No, Castlevania <laughs> subtitles are better. This is like the bad Google Translate version of a knockoff of Castlevania's subtitle yeah. is what we got. Um. But yeah, no. These, his, these were the your castles belong. Your castle belonged to me, or whatever that that bad <laughs> phrase from that video game is. It was that. Um, no, this introducing or walking into Tyler's apartment is one of the most cliche fucking like. I, I'm a guy who takes my work home with me. Like, I, let me show you all of the bullshit. Well, he works at home, which I'm fine with. And the thing is, like. The whole, like, his apartment full of all of his stuff mm -hmm. and, like, all of these old pieces that he's done and things like that. You, I Like, I'm looking at that thinking, well, this could, you could really have some fun with, like, your big grand finale, like, yeah. standoff in this. You, you know, you could have fun with that. Where, yeah. like, he's on his home turf with all of his stuff. Um, literally... It, the entire payoff for it is for Brian Dennehy to look around, have all the stuff make him convinced that he's the killer, and then take one look at a bunch of bullet holes, smile, and not think he's actually guilty of anything anymore, and just walk out without explaining anything. Yeah. They, it, the, its whole purpose is just to give us more time with Brian Dennehy, so that way we don't leave. Yeah. That's the purpose of the apartment. <laughs> But yeah, so we do, like, we we have the whole setup of, like, what they want him to do, which I guess someone involved with the movie who was a visual effects artist claims that this is something that actually happened to them in terms, not everything verbatim, but having, you know, government ask them to stage things for yeah. witness relocation. Yeah. Um, so you have, like, you, you do that, and then... The second Jerry Orbach shows up on screen as the villain. Yeah. As the evil mobster. Yeah. I immediately just thought, okay, 
I I feel like this is them giving me permission to not take this movie seriously ever again. <laughs> they, you want to put him in something, you know, put him in Chicago, put him in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And I know his talents are going to be well used. Yeah. Literally, some the person who wrote this movie thought that if I just have Jerry Orbach keep saying wise guy, huh? Yeah. That makes him a mobster. <laughs> That's your other drinking game. Yeah. You can have one person do the movie titles, one person do Jerry Orbach saying wise guy, huh? <laughs> one of you will die of liver disease by the end of the night. <laughs> it is a guarantee. Yeah, we'll see which one keels over first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a race to the finish line. <laughs> this... This movie has something in common with probably our other worst movie that we've ever uh, reviewed, and that's Pacemakers being a crucial oh, yes. plot point yes. of the film. That is true. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. We we did we do have that. I uh, I really appreciated the. Um, Oh, if I have an electrical charge near my pacemaker, I'm done for. Yeah. And he just fucking tests it and he's oh, like, now we're short. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, that moment was like a brief moment, like a brief flash of me going, I like this guy. Yeah. It was like a brief moment of me going, I like this guy. I'm on his side. Yeah. I, uh, I really wish they noticed how shady everyone around him is being right now. I just, I don't understand... Just this, I don't understand this movie. It's just so convoluted. Well, that's it the is thing. So convoluted. So the ev- the evil plan, I can't figure out the evil plan at all because I don't understand why the the Justice Department uh, witness relocation guys want to do things the way they've done them. Mm-hmm. I don't get why they want to sneak him away on a helicopter. Yeah. Um, I get that he's stolen a bunch of money from the mob. Yeah. And so he's got a bank account in Geneva. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 80s yeah, movie villain. Yeah, literally logic. painful cliches yeah. all abound. Yeah. Um, or, in, no. Um, I'm just going to move uh, <laughs> not going to do it. Um, so... So he's got the you know he's got the the deposit with like fifteen million in it yeah um and I guess Mason the the head Justice Department guy is the only other person that knows about it which yeah makes no sense yeah because that literally at one point Mason's whole logic to try to talk the main guy down is you know I'm you know you need yeah you need me now because he and I were the only ones that that they recognized there yeah. And then it's like, no, we didn't need you. <laughs> no, <laughs> not even you didn't. remotely. And I, this, I, I'm sorry. The, the, my train of thought through this entire thing. Can we jump to the end? Can we? Can we jump to the end of this film? Start jumping. Um, let's watch FX two, because if it's a. Brian Dennehy, Tyler Raleigh, fucking Roland, whatever his name is, yeah, buddy film. That's the movie I want to watch. Okay, so <laughs> first of all, yes. Second of all, so <laughs> I I went and I looked on IMDb because I was like, I've got to know. Yeah, what do they like, continue the, the okay, story? Yeah. So first of all, as a sidetrack, the series is just the general concept mm-hmm. of like. 
they create an FX division of a police force. Okay. And hire the special effects guy to work with them to help yeah. solve mysteries. Um, so a worse Mission Impossible. Exactly. Because that's what this movie is. Yes. It's a worse version of Mission Impossible. The ending is a worse version of Home Alone or fucking the superior ending that is actually closer super. Like, when I was yeah. watching him go through the house, I'm like, this is uh, Dwight Schrute. Fucking blanking blank on Rain Wilson. Thank you. Rain Wilson walking through Kevin Bacon's yeah. house to, to, to kill all the goons. Yeah, no, but with, you're, you're right. With seemingly less motivation or, like, anything. <laughs> just, just the decision of, like, I'm going to kill people. Just because. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, so the sequel... The whole the whole plot for the sequel is um Rolly Tyler, the the the, the Aussie yeah. visual effects guy, yeah, yeah. he is now a toy maker. And he's in a relationship with a woman whose ex husband is a cop. Yeah. The ex husband is murdered okay. during like a standoff, but foul play is suspected with the police chief. Yeah. So Tyler goes to Brian Dennehy, who is now a PI, so they can work together to try to prove that this guy's a crooked cop. Gotcha. My favorite part of all of this, though, Seven is... Seven and a half million dollars has not influenced either of their lives, seemingly. One, <laughs> kind of seems like that. Although it was, by that point, it was like 94, 95, so Brian Dennehy was in that, like... Quick period of time where he was in, like, where he was, where clearly his agent was like, you at least have to try to be in shape to try to get more leading man roles. Yeah. Before finally Denny, he was like, fuck it, I'm a character actor, I can do what I want. Yeah. Um, but. I could be a voice actor in Ratatouille. Yeah. But, <laughs> but no, the, th- the, um, the thing that killed me with that was just, um, they're still in New York in the sequel. Okay. So. By the end of this movie, Tyler is wanted for a ton of murders. Oh, yeah. Because he faked his murder and then escaped at the coroner office. Mm -hmm. So clearly he is the prime suspect for everything that's happened. Yeah. Dennehy, it's not even worth knowing, he's Brian Dennehy. His character name doesn't matter. Um, It's like McKinty or something. Yeah, McCarthy, um, something like that. Yeah, I'm using too much brain power anyway. Yeah. Um, so, Den- like, Dennehy's whole thing is that he, like, he stole his boss's badge yeah. to go and basically do a bunch of more dereliction of duty stuff that he wasn't supposed to do yeah. when he was supposed to be on suspension. He basically just did a bunch of just, like, so they both, they both have done enough to warrant... Some jail time. Yeah. Yet they're both casually living lives with suddenly millions of dollars in their bank accounts. Yeah. In the same city that they were just fucking in when all this went down. <laughs> that is what... Like, I don't need to see the sequel because that point alone tells me, oh, we learned nothing yeah. from making this movie into making that one to yeah. make that one better. We learned nothing. <laughs> What's frustrating about this is if you're in a copy, a Mission Impossible movie, 
copy a good one. Don't copy Mission Impossible 2. Like, the disguising one of the henchmen as yourself and th for them to get shot, like, I don't even remember him doing that. I, am I he does the mirror. No, okay. he care at one point no, no, he's no. literally carrying a like projector yeah. slot like projector screen like creeping through the house with it. <laughs> literally like he's Kevin McAllister in fucking yeah. Home Alone. Yeah. No, and he sets and he is. sets up the mirror and then just stands casually stands at the end of a hallway mm -hmm. so that way the guy looks and sees the reflection and thinks that he's standing right there. Yeah. And just happens in a way that you know he couldn't have actually planned, the guy, instead of like... Because I honestly thought the dude was going to run at him. Yeah. I thought he was going to run at him. We were going to get Jurassic <laughs> Park, pre-Jurassic Park. Because I was like, we're at that point of stupidity. Yeah. But no, he instead he pulls out his gun, fires a couple of shots, and just so happens that his Shooting partner is on the other side, yeah. so he kills the other henchman. Yeah. The the. I was thinking when Lumiere was shooting through the wall... And he goes down. I thought that was him dressing up the, uh, the henchman oh. as himself. But it could very well could have been him. That's probably me giving the film too much credit. I, I think you're reading too much and I think also, he... Also, <laughs> when it, the gluing Mason's hands to the gun... The crazy glue... I actually, I actually <laughs> love that bit. That was the best, that was the best bit of the ending. But when you see, that's the moment when I went, okay, I can officially tell this movie to go fuck itself. No, well, that's <laughs> you. I, I was texting you, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I have a lot to say about this movie. And you're like, did you finish it? And I'm like, no, I haven't got to the ending yet. And you're like, oh, you will. Yeah. And I was like, does he side with the villain, and they go get the money together? Like, I was just waiting for the turn. And I'm like, when he sends, this, you know, sends Mason out with the gun in his hands, I'm like, okay, like that's. You know, one of the better parts of Mission Impossible 2, whenever Tom Cruise puts the, you know, the mask of the guy on himself. The mask and on his, Richard yeah. Roxburgh and pushes him into yeah. the line of fire. Yeah, exactly. See, I... <laughs> but exactly, but, you don't copy the worst Mission Impossible, copy the better ones. But for me, it was just, I loved the whole concept of, he's like sitting there playing with the stuff, and like clearly he's, you know, screwing with the battery, yeah. or not the batteries, the bullets. Yeah. And you, you can tell, and that's great. And all of a sudden, he's talking about crazy glue. And I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake, come on. <laughs> really? No, no, time out. Time, what? He is the, here's the thing. At the beginning of the movie, he complains that they're only going to give him a week mm -hmm. to stage this assassination. Yeah. Using... That basically just requires everything that he was just using on the film set that we just saw him mm -hmm. on ten minutes ago. Yeah. Um, but for the rest of the movie, when he's on the run, he can do makeup to completely change his look for himself and someone else yeah. in, like, an afternoon, probably even less than that. Like... Wake up, have some breakfast, slap on some prosthetics, and go out into the world <laughs> for the entire day with no issue. Yeah. And, the, but the, the one that killed me, though, was he gets, like, he, gets, he somehow manages to push Mason out to get gunned down. Yeah. Puts on prosthetics <laughs> over his wrists and, and neck, neck so they yeah. can't take his pulse 
to find out he's still alive. Yeah. Because that has to be the only reason he has them on. And then go lay down, like, two rooms over. Mm -hmm. So that way they think he's dead, cart him out in a body bag so he can make his escape. Yeah. And he didn't, and I'm just like, I've dealt with spirit glue. <laughs> it hates you. Yeah. Spirit glue or spirit gum hates you. <laughs> it will not cooperate. It is going to be the bane of your existence. And it's you're like, okay, so this will adhere real quick. Fuck, stay on. Stay on, stay on. <laughs> like, and it would have been like, I would have loved if he had had like he had had the prosthetics. And then Dennehy looked down and saw, like, part of it was peeling up because the gum didn't yeah. stick or something like Or, like, Den Dennehy looks over as he's getting into the car and sees the van is gone and just knows. Yeah. Like, something like something like that I would have enjoyed more than him just magically being in the fucking alley. Yeah. Waiting for him like he knew. That's the but, thing that's so, like, fascinating and frustrating about this movie is... Brian Dennehy, he is a guy who just, he wants to get his man. He wants to do his job. In the He flies in the face of his superiors so that he can get his man and fucking bring Mason to justice. Because he knows he's... Well, not Mason. Um, Orbach. Lumiere. Yes. Yes. He, he wants to bring these guys down. Mm -hmm. And then he's willing to just... Turn tail and run and collect fifteen million dollars of ill-gotten, you know, money. Well, with this guy that he doesn't know. That well, also I love the fact that everyone's just like, no, you can't take the case. Like, why? Because you caught him. What? <laughs> you caught him, and you're mean. <laughs> like that's their whole fucking their whole fucking logic yeah. to why this guy should not be put on the case about the guy that he caught mm -hmm. is because he's the one who caught him yeah and it makes like that makes it was just to me that was the hardest thing to get past yeah every single time he was talking to his bosses I was just like this dude knows so much that's going on I'm waiting for him to break the fourth wall <laughs> That's how smart this guy is compared to everyone else in this movie except Velez. Yeah. Yeah, no, I actually want to see what other films that actress is in because she, she's the most compelling bit of this movie. She is the only one besides <laughs> Dennehy and the uh, Aussie guy that's in FX2. Okay. She's the only... It's just the three of them. This is going to be... I keep saying it. We're going to have another two... We're going to have a two-parter, man. <laughs> You didn't want to do fucking Starship Troopers 2. It's, it's happening one of these days. I'm going to... I've got a week off that's going to just be a staycation where I'm just going to be at home. I'm going to have a lot of time to watch movies, and I feel like I'm going to constantly be texting you going, Dude, I just watched this fucking movie. Um, you've got to watch it, but at the same time, please, dear God, don't watch this movie. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of that yeah. because my thanks to doing this between doing this podcast and then watching movies if they're on like how did this get made yeah. or watching episodes of Rift Tracks. Yeah. That's how I find movies like this in mm -hmm. Microwave Massacre. Yeah. Is because Amazon re recommends the weirdest shit in the world to me. Yeah. Now, thanks to you, Amazon <laughs> recommends the weirdest shit to me. Uh -huh. <laughs> now, the, the 
this movie is just it's so convoluted. I've I've been to New York City before. Um, granted, it wasn't at sunrise, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know if homeless people walk out of the gutters in single file as the sun is rising. They might as well. I mean. <laughs> But see, but that's the one of the most bizarre scenes in the film. <laughs> no, see, I I wanted more of the hobo who was yelling at them for parking in the building. Oh yeah, no, he, he was, was great. He was the first character in the movie that I became emotionally invested in, <laughs> and he was only in that scene. And I was so dis- I was like, I want this to be a reoccurring. I want this to be a running gag in this movie. I hope. He's I want working. him constantly showing up. Just talking regulations. And he's like, the fourth reoccurring character in FX two. No, I love. No, he's the only one in the series. His, his line to them is like, "I told you this yesterday." I'm like, I love it. Yep. No. I hope a car went through that building yesterday. No, what I'm really hoping is I'm hoping that that was the writer's buddy who's does improv, yeah. and he was like, "Just come in and just say whatever you want." You know, we're just going to have you, you know, we're just going to put you on set. You're, we're going to, you know, there's a car sticking out of the wall. Yeah. Go. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are your, uh, what are your final thoughts on, on FX to kind of start to wrap it up? Uh, um, I just, for me, it was... It was just a movie that from beginning to end had so many things that didn't make sense. You know, major things about the the plot as a whole didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, why we couldn't have gotten a third death out of Ellen didn't make sense. Um, <laughs> why we don't we... check back in with Andy, which is just fucking hilarious. Yeah, they're Andy, gonna kill you, and if they don't, I will. Yeah, and then she just, and then casually she walks off into the sunset. We leave Lipton in a trunk somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I actually did like that. I, I actually legitimately liked that. If it was done better, and his fucking dub wasn't like, I know you're standing in a studio speaking basically perfectly fine and kind of like coughing and grunting every once in a while. Yeah, like that is a very effective way. If you're if you're filming a film on a very low budget and you have to have a torture scene, throwing them in the, throwing them in the back of a car and backing up into shit is not the worst way to do it because no. you know some bad shits happening to them happening to them and you don't have to see it happening. Yep. Like, but again, he's standing in a recording booth. Well, and that's kind of I kind of hope that we were just get, like, I legitimately hope that we were going to like we were going to get the information out of him, say thanks, and then reverse as fast as we could into one into the, of the bay or into something. like into like the metal pole or something, yeah. and then pull up forward a little bit, open you know pry open the trunk and see his body with some fake you know with some blood thrown on it to yeah. see, to be like look he's dead yeah and then. Like yeah, push the car into the river. And move yeah, on. they were they were like near a bay or something, and I'm like, is this where the scene is headed? Like, he, you know, he asked him for the address, and he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, oh fuck you, and you know, I was like, oh man, just back up into the water right now. Like that's what I, that's what I want to see. But here's, here's the, the like, for like ten minutes in the movie, nobody knows where he lives. It's classified. It's classified. It's classified. This guy knows. <laughs> He he lives in the gigantic mansion in the that's just sitting over. The, he lives in a gigantic mansion that pol, that police are 
the police can easily go past. Like, yeah. It, like, there's no difficulty. In, it's not like we find out that he lives on, like, the Upper East Side on the eighth floor of a building. Yeah. Like, it's not something crazy like that. It's literally just, oh, he's in a mansion over there. Yeah, and when you're guarded by all of these cops who clearly are into shady, shifty shit, and you've given them consecutive fake social security you numbers... <laughs> You suck at your job uh, as head of witness protection. You suck at your job as evil. <laughs> you suck at both of your jobs. Yeah. The, everything about what you do, you suck at. Yeah. Now, granted, no matter what, Velez would have caught them. Because she's amazing. <laughs> and I hope she was on her Jamaican holiday at the end of the movie. Uh, she had to be. Honestly, I would have rather we cut to that instead of the weird stock footage of snowy landscapes that we suddenly <laughs> get at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that was strange. We get that mixed with flashbacks of each character at various points in the movie. <laughs> without their names, mm-hmm. when they pop when they up. Pop up yeah. Like, they, they start popping up, and I thought, oh, so we're doing this sort of thing where they'll have their names, and no? Uh, what? What is... What? I don't fucking care. Just end. Um, yeah, this is... There... Oh, God. It's my least favorite scene of the film, and it is such a nitpick, but I have to point it out, mm-hmm. is when they have the car chase scene. It's right after they have the car chase scene, which I didn't hate. It no, seemed very it's not much, bad. No, it seemed very much of the time. It seemed like a lot of other action films has a car chase scene, mm-hmm. so we need to have a car chase scene. Um, yeah, very, we want to be French Connection. Yeah, when they toss the body out of the back of, the, the fake dummy body out of the back of the van, Yeah, and the guy comes to a screeching halt, mm-hmm. and then he gets out. And he doesn't quite see whether or not it's, you know, real or fake. And then he gets hit from and then behind he gets hit. and it rolls over. Oh, that's a great moment. Yeah, it's I great. legitimately like that moment. And then it cut to the worst scene in the film where we've seen his reaction and we get our two leads. And Andy, the dumbest female character in the film, go, I wish I saw his face. We, the audience, saw his face. I don't need to hear you, like... And then we just hold on that scene for such a... Strange amount of time. No, see, I think the the weirdest one that just became padding to me mm-hmm. was the whole bit of consoling Dennehy <laughs> when he was doing his like yeah, like and it was the one time Dennehy was just like, if the Let director's if the director's not going to tell me what to fucking do, <laughs> then I'm going to give him both choices at once. He's going to get that I'm crying and that I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> Both at the same fucking time, and until he tells me which one to do, he gets both. <laughs> I'm 100% convinced that that was the mentality he had going into yeah. that scene. Because he's both, like, he's doing, like, the whole, like, hand covering his, his yeah. forehead thing, like, he's crying. Yeah. And then he starts, like, breathing deep with, like, a weird, worried look on his face. And I was like, okay, so, I was just like... Is he, like, is he gonna throw a punch? Is he gonna what? And then you just get extra dude. It's like, your whole job is to just giggle at the guy because his badge got stolen. Your whole job is to giggle at this guy. Oh, God. Um, No, I still, I am still 100% convinced that, regardless of what you say, if if Andy had been around, Mm -hmm. she wouldn't, like... 
given how excessively shady Lipton immediately becomes yeah. once we've gotten like as soon as as soon as Tyler's agreed to do the job, Lipton becomes shady as shit. Yeah. Becomes super fucking shady. Mm-hmm. If Andy had been around, she would have figured that shit out immediately because she just would have started asking questions left and right. Oh, yeah. And she she would have delivered some of the most, you know, stilted, awkward dialogue ever. And but it <laughs> still would have been better than him just going, it's a job. It's a job. It's a job. Oh, that, no, that's the best part of the movie is that he is so unconvinced and doesn't want to take the job until he, one, hears that his direct competition is being considered, who, oh, we, yeah. ne- who we never meet. Yeah. And then, two, g- goes to his girlfriend's house, fucks his girlfriend, and then decides at three in the morning, I'm going to take the job. Oh, I'm going to take the job. I'm going to go find a girl that's sleeping in a hotel lobby, tie her up, and then take her stuff. Was that Andy? I, I, I don't think dude, it was. I don't have no idea what that was about. That and the dude, like and the, the horrible doorman. The doorman. All happen. The doorman is just smirking, like, "Ah, oh, you crazy white people! Like, I don't know what to do with you guys." Like, no, that was oh, sh- yeah. No, I sat there that whole time, going, "Is he about to do something evil?" <laughs> He's about to do something like unforgivable, or yeah. something, isn't it? Like, yeah, I. Ugh. I'm I'm thinking it was Andy because it had to be, Andy on the phone who then ma- met him in the lobby and she must have fallen asleep and then he plays a prank on her by tying up tying together her legs. Mm-hmm. Why we needed to see all that, I have no fucking clue. What he took from her, I have not a no idea. I I don't know either. All I know is the given the fact that if because. As he becomes far more competent once she shows up at the park. Yeah. He's a, he's able to avoid people. Uh-huh. He's able to be more... Like, he gets so much more shit done once she yeah. shows up. That's why I'm convinced that half of his issues wouldn't have happened in this movie if she had been around. Well, he, he sees Andy and, and meets back up with her and he goes, Oh, that's right. I'm a special effects artist. I can put a fucking beard on and disguise myself a little bit. Yep. Like... Like, he doesn't have that idea float through his head once mm-hmm. or twice before meeting, you know, meeting up with her. Yeah. Um, but, do you have anything else to add about FX? Um, long live Velez. <laughs> long live Velez. Uh, she's amazing. <laughs> um, if my wife wanted to get her hair cut, <laughs> I would actually be totally okay with it. Um... That actress pulls that haircut off yeah. when it should not work. Um, she's the she's the Andy Potts of this movie. We absolutely we need to spend <laughs> at least a little bit of time really making it clear just how much we're both in love with this woman. Um, no, her scenes are the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, like her Dennehy and then Dennehy's partner. Yeah, who also just kind of disappears. Yeah, in the movie. Well. Um, when Dennehy needs to find Mason's address and he encounters 
two of the only other you know female characters we've seen in this entire film yeah. and continues to address them as darling and sweetheart and you're like ah oh, Denny you're kind of a piece of shit I mean I know this is how everyone it's, talks it's the at 80s, the time yeah. yeah but but that's exactly how he talks to Velez but you're like oh fuck man they love each other like yeah <laughs> yeah like I just legitimately think like that anyone gives... anyone who stands up to Dennehy, he just immediately, he instantly falls oh, in yeah. love with them. It, he's that guy who's like a complete dickhead until you throw shit back in his face a couple times, and then, and then he, he likes and, you, and then he likes you, and he's the greatest guy, and then yeah. he's in love with you. Yeah, absolutely. and that's clearly what's going on. Because yeah, he, <laughs> I mean, he's gifted her Jamaica and like chunks of New York. And... Yeah. He's like Pro- the Bronx and all that. That's yeah. all yours. He might have given her part of Jersey. I can't remember. Jersey's cheap. Anyone can just take it. Um, <laughs> well, he refers to her as a cop and not darling and sweetheart. So he actually gave her, you know, well, a, she, a bit of respect. She's smarter than ninety percent of the people in this. Oh movie. yeah, he and like she's smarter than everyone in this movie. Let's let's not qualify it like that. <laughs> She's tied with Dennehy because yeah. he's kind of he's figuring stuff along the same line yeah. as her. She's more tech savvy than him, mm-hmm. but beyond that, like, but I mean, smartest person in the whole movie. The 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 parking regulations hobo, <laughs> smartest person in the movie, well, easily. She, if you want to compare it to like Criminal Minds, she's uh she's the you know big girl with the glasses who sits behind the desk. Like mm-hmm. she's never out in the field, but. She, like, she's the one who figures out fucking 90% of what they need to figure out, yeah. you know, throughout the course of the episode. She's, I'm thoroughly convinced that in the sequel at some point, she actually, if they did it, if they did it right. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, they didn't do this. <laughs> they, but did, they should no, have. They absolutely did not do this. Um, but at some point, she actually ends up in the field, gets a gun in her hand. Is <laughs> like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? So you think, like, oh, she doesn't know how to use that, you yeah. estrogen, you... <laughs> <laughs> and then just gets annoyed and just like immediately just like one hit like just goes John Wick on everyone just headshot 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 yeah I would be scared of her if I was John Wick I think John Wick should be scared of her I think everyone should be let's pitch this to Brian Dunahy FX3 man let's fucking go no here's what I want to here's what I want to see I want to see her go up against different character I want to see Velez be the one that goes and talks to Hannibal Lecter, not Clarice. I want to see Velez. Like, mm, tell me about the lambs, Velez. Shut the fuck up, dude. You either got shit or you don't got shit. So what's uh, what's your final thoughts of uh, my, my my final thoughts for this movie? Um, yeah, I don't know if this is one that anyone really needs to watch. Again, it's not a bad movie. It's just a dumb movie. Yeah. They're, like, the concept is solid. Yeah. I love the concept for this movie. It's a great concept. Mm-hmm. The performances that are good are great. Yeah. Um, it's a good concept, but it's also one that can basically only exist in the time that it was made. See, I disagree. I think it would be fun to see this done today. Mm-hmm. I think it would be fun to see what you would do with a concept like this into in this day and age where you get like cuz you would have you would have the added fact of like with CGI, you know, this yeah. guy's not needed as much. So taking this kind of a job to get the money is important to him. Yeah. Um well that's also why I think it exists more in the time that it was made because so much of it was 
practical effects and, and the practicality is taken away a lot of the times nowadays. But like 80s and during like 1986, those people were like gods. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, they did, you know, you had, you know, an entire Oscar category created for them just because they were so fucking good at what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I don't necessarily think this is one that people need to see. I, <laughs> if you want to watch it, by all means, watch it. You know, yeah. your, your life's not going to be any worse or better for seeing it, but you'll be able to see, you know, in case you run into Brian Dennehy's granddaughter, you can say that you saw this. Um, what about you? Um, Watch a super cut of all of Velez's scenes. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say no, that, it's, but I was... <laughs> it's it's by it's a fine movie. It's just fine. It's yeah. convoluted as all hell. Um, if you want to sit with your bu- sit around with your buddies and make a drinking game out of it, yeah, just just know that you're gonna forget. 90% of it as soon as the credits start rolling. And if you're the designated driver who's not part of the drinking game, just remember you're going to forget about 90% of it by the end <laughs> by the time you're driving home. Um, uh, yeah. So the so in the, in the world of entertainment the you know, breaking breaking away from the movie and going going out into what's going on in the world. Um in, in the world of, you know, obviously in a couple of weeks here, we're going to have an episode about uh, Spider-Man Far From Home that we're mm-hmm. very, we're both very excited for the movie. Yeah. Uh, we both think it's going to be good. Um, early reviews are in for it and they are strong. Yeah. Um, obviously those like sound bite, like jur- yeah, journalists true. trying to get a Twitter sound bite to be slapped onto the marketing to yeah. obviously that you can only read into it so much, but it's still, it's getting good, good reviews. Um, unfortunately that is not the Spider-Man news worth talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the last four or five days, uh, fans of Spider-Man and Marvel and comics were teased with a countdown for something going on with Spider-Man. Starting on Sunday, there was a countdown on social media, um, I saw it mostly on Facebook of a four very much stylized in a spider's web and fans speculated must be a crossover with fantastic four or possibly a Sam Raimi Spider-Man four adapted as a comic book, which would those people, it's just like, really, you want to see how he would have handled vulture worse. Like we got Are a good, vul- we got a good vulture with homecoming. Do you really want to find out why his vulture would have sucked? And find out why he would find out the way in the fourth movie he would have continued to tease and not deliver on Lizard. Well, I don't think it would exist in a vacuum, though. It's not like he is unaware of what has happened. I don't think they would have written anything new. I think oh, it would I have been something. Think they would. No, I think it would have been whatever the. I think you would have given. I think it would have been Sam Raimi would have pitched them whatever his film would have been, and then somebody else could write the script and then put it out. I don't know. I th- I think they would draw from. I mean, that would have came out and. I mean, regardless, I knew Mar- I knew that wasn't it because Marvel's not going to be like, hey, right before this version yeah. of Spider Man comes out, let's get nostalgic about a different version of Spider. <laughs> like they're very smart. That's why. Well, I, not w- after this announcement, I wouldn't. <laughs> well, in regards to dealing with the films, that's why yeah. I agreed with them going. 
Oh, so we saw your uh, saw your fan your fan four stick or whatever the hell you want to pronounce that. Yeah, we're not making any more Fantastic Four comic books, so that yeah. way there's no risk of you guys having any more material to work with. Yeah. Um, so they're smart about looking at what's going on with the movies and their comics and knowing what they need to do. Yeah, but granted, there was a fan base of people who were excited by the by the prospects. Yeah, and then. Monday we get three, and Tuesday we get two, and Wednesday get, we get one, and on today I was ready but, to be disappointed. And, and well, and I I would like to point out that on um, Monday when we got the three, uh-huh. what was great was all the people that were like, everyone, "It's going to be the same." Well, no, everyone was like, "We're going to get this. It's going to be like this. It's Sam Raimi's Spider Man Four turned into a comic book." And then that three came up, and they were all like, "Oh God, I hope I'm wrong." <laughs> Oh, God, I don't know what this is going to be, but I hope it's not what I think it is anymore. Please don't be anything involving Sam Raimi. Oh, dear God, no! My favorite thing was every every comment seemed to be Fantastic Four the first day, and then everyone was like, Fantastic Three the second day. Um, but no, today we got a, like a short 40-second video of J.J. Abrams and his son Henry Abrams talking about the mini-series, uh, Spider-Man series that they are writing for Marvel, um, with art by Sarah Pacelli, who has done, um, a lot of comics, uh, especially, particularly for Marvel, um, I confused her with someone who had done art for Batgirl, but, um, she's, she, she is the only thing that should give people hope for this series, um, in other words, it'll be very pretty to look at, it will be very pretty to look at, and it will establish a lot of mysteries that it doesn't pay off. Um, I will be very interested to see how people respond to Henry Abrams and his writing. And I hope it shines through. I hope it's different from his dad's. It I hope it's not just... Not with his dad looking over his shoulder going, here's what you should do. Yeah. And it probably won't be. And that's frustrating because this... why include your son when... He's the. You are the only reason he got through the door. Because the hope is by including his son, it'll decrease the amount of people that read this, think it sucks, and let him know it. Uh-huh. Because here's here like here is one hundred percent the reason why he's doing this without well, his, question. His son's without twenty one or so, he's he's not a child. Doesn't matter still, but without question, without a shadow of a doubt, what J.J. Abrams is doing is going okay. Star Wars is about to be over. Mm-hmm. They won't let me near Star Trek anymore. They figured <laughs> they finally figured out that they shouldn't let me near it. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Wars is about to be over, and no other franchise seems to seems to be able to function anymore. I really need to convince the MCU that I they need to make me the new Russo brothers. That's what this is. <laughs> this is him trying. This is him tr- hoping. That he's going to do this, and it's going to make Kevin Feige call him up and go, "I want you to, you know, I want you to run mm-hmm. a bunch. Of, you know, I want you to be the next Joss Whedon Joss or Whedon Kevin Feige or yeah. uh, Russo Brothers, yeah. where you're making a bunch of the movies and you know, getting a bunch of the credit, and making a bunch of money off of doing. Like this is him trying to secure being part of this this franchise, yeah, to essentially keep his career going because yeah. his solo stuff. Like, his solo films don't function. Yeah. They just don't. Mm-hmm. They, they're they liked for a minute, and then everyone forgets about them because they're incredibly forgettable. Yeah. J.J. Abrams 
lives and dies off of franchises and TV series, and he hasn't been able to get a TV series to stay alive and liked since Lost. Yeah. And even then, it was touch and go there near the end. Well, And he wasn't even involved, really, at that point. As much as he is a movie person, and... He's not a movie person. He's not an anything person. He's a shit. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's too late. Someone put Thomas to bed. Um, No, the... Marvel has not drawn from their... For better or for worse, they have not drawn from their comic book people to become the writers or directors of their films like Jeff Johns has had a hand like in the creation of the Green Lantern movie like very intimately he's been a part of that and that's been very much less so in the Marvel comics and this is the first person that uh, that is very involved in film and television who is taking a dive into comics, and maybe that transitions... That's not true. Well, I mean... You've had Kevin Smith has done, right? He did some writing for, I believe, Daredevil and some other things. Well, that, that's even, true. But... Even Paul Shearer is doing the the Cosmic Ghost Rider, yeah, but Destroys are, the Marvel these are guys Universe. Who, who haven't, like, been directors or writers of multi-million dollar movies, multi-billion dollar movies. Like... As much as I, we love Kevin Smith and Paul Shear and Brian Posehn, who's done, you know, Deadpool, like, mm-hmm. these guys are awesome. I would fucking love for them to be incorporated into the, into the MCU or into other comic properties in some way, shape, or form. I mean, Can Paul Shear be the next uh, Professor X for X-Men? That'd be fucking awesome. <laughs> they, literally, I will stand outside of a movie theater starting today. <laughs> If they promise that. I don't care when the movie comes out. I'll quit my job. I'll leave my wife. I don't care. Whatever I have to do. Um, I might be too tired to make the best judgments right now. No, but... We're, we're finally seeing... You know, with Kevin Smith's Howard the Duck series on, on Hulu... We're seeing these guys who... Have had their feet in, in both... You know, the film world, the TV world, mm. the comedy world, and the comic book world. But I'm saying this is this is a guy known primarily or exclusively for film and television, writing and directing, now making his way into comics. And maybe he, you know, maybe that does backtrack somehow into the MCU. I hope not. Um, well, he wants it to. That doesn't. I mean, it's like the first Star Trek is literally just him recreating shots from the original trilogy, mm-hmm. the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, as an audition tape. <laughs> like honest, like ever since honest trailers pointed that out to me, I I was just like, oh dear God, I can't not see that stuff now. <laughs> well, we'll see if this uh, if this tree bears any fruit. I I don't think it's. <sighs> I don't think anyone's going to care. I no. just don't. I don't think anyone's going to care because the other thing is Marvel less so, like, with the exception of the crappier stuff, mm-hmm. um, unless you're doing something that's really specialized, like, you know, Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys the Marvel Universe or Ash versus Marvel Zombies, stuff yeah. like that, unless you're doing specialty stuff like that, Marvel Marvel comic readers are less likely than DC comic readers 
to go, hey, somebody is doing a, a whole, like, short series that has no continuity connection yeah. to anything, is, no, like, is just, like, a standalone continuity, like, standalone with no continuity to it. DC people are more willing for, you know, whether or not you agree with it or not, to go to flock to that stuff than Marvel people. Yeah. So if it's literally just... Because if it's just an audition tape mm-hmm. for J.J. Abrams, his son, or both of them to be involved with the MCU, yeah, then I guarantee you people are going to go, it's fine, yeah. at best. yeah. Most people are going to go, this is just their audition, and please don't let them have it. Yeah. And honestly, I, there's there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. You see a lot more standalone miniseries in DC than you do in um, in Marvel, it seems. Um, like, in DC right now, they just did... At least gaining notoriety. Yeah, they just did The Last Night on Earth, which was seemingly publicized as the last uh, Greg Capullo, Scott Snyder, or, or yeah, Scott Snyder um, team up, because mm-hmm. they started Batman. And they've introduced a lot of great Batman villains, and... The the biggest villains that have been introduced in the last five to ten years are Batman villains. And there there's not a lot of... That's the thing that worries me, and not even worries me, but disinterests me about this series, is they're introducing a new villain. And I, I swear to God, the twist is going to be that it's been Green Goblin or some, you know, established villain the entire time, just under a new persona. But... No, I'm with what you were saying earlier today. I think they're going to make the big reveal of, oh, it's his mother or father or Uncle Ben. Yeah. And it's somebody. It's somebody related to him, mm-hmm. and it's a big. It's a big surprise, and we keep teasing that we're going to find out how this is actually possible, and then yeah. they never actually explain it. <laughs> the The biggest introductions in the villain world in Marvel has been different interpretations of villains. Like with the Ultimate series, mm-hmm. you see a different interpretation of Green Goblin and so many established yeah. Spider-Man villains. In DC, we've had Professor Pig, Hush, the Court of Owls. Um, we've got a lot of newer villains that have done pretty well and also like been in different pop culture. Um, but like it, it just doesn't interest me for, for this Spider-Man series. Um well, and the other thing is that with with Batman, there's something that can be brought to the table in terms... Like, you introduce something like the Court of Owls, and you're getting something... It's basically you're saying, here's something for, for those of you that like your Ra's al Ghul-style yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. For those of you who like that realm of... Like, the spiritual yeah. for Batman villain category... This is for you guys, and yeah. people can flock to that. With Spider-Man, it's basically angry big guy who's throwing punches. Yeah. That's every single one of his villains <laughs> at their core. Yeah. Um, so you that's why when you get when you get like really legitimately fun variations like the depth that they gave Vulture for Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Or Mixing up, you know, mixing things up gender-wise with Doc Ock for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. You know, when you get stuff like that where they do a, 
have legitimate fun mixing things up or adding mm-hmm. some depth to characters, people flock to it and latch on and don't want to let go. Yeah. Um, so that like that's the tr- that's the trouble, and it, you can like or hate J.J. Abrams as much as you want. Depth is not something his characters have. <laughs> it's just like as much as I enjoy Lost, mm-hmm. those are not characters with depth to them. Yeah, that's why when Michael Emerson showed up in season two as Ben, people latched on to him and he became a series regular because he seemed like a character with depth. Yeah. But. Well, I wonder how much built in kind of depth he has with Spider-Man and how much built in good faith he has. Um, and that remains to be seen. We'll, we'll see. What well, I guess the, I guess the answer to that is how much built in depth was there with Captain Kirk, Spock, Han Solo, uh, Princess Leia, <laughs> Seriously though, yeah, how much no, for, how much depth? Like literally, with all of those characters, they have their existence, their personality, their character that already existed, and then a J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams movie comes along, and all of a sudden those characters are flat, bland, inconsistent with who they originally were. Yeah, and you're just you lose them. Yeah. God damn! I didn't think I could be more disappointed by this news, and you're just. You're just punching me while I'm down. Fuck. Why in the world? Like, if you're looking for a glimmer of hope, you oh, came. Uh, you came to the wrong dude. I'm in a fucking dark cave right now. There is no glimmer. You're you're gonna get home. Your girlfriend's gonna wake up, come out into the living room to find you sitting there crying, eating ice cream out of the container with the ice cream scoop as a spoon. Just crying and over it, eating. <laughs> Nothing on the TV, just but still sitting in front of it. Just, and she's oh, what's gonna, wrong, honey? Is JJ Abrams writing Spider Man? No, no, it's not. Even, she's just gonna look at you and be like, "Thomas being a dick again." <laughs> yeah, he made me sad about Spider Man. All right, <laughs> what? You got any other news or uh, anything you've been watching this week? Um. Uh, the only other thing I've really been watching, I'm continuing to work my way through Farscape. Love that show. Yeah. Um, but also, I started watching Andrew Tribeca. Um, if you're like me and you like Airplane, Naked Gun, any of that stuff, you owe it to yourself to watch Angie Tribeca. It is the closest that we've had to some to the great work of uh, Leslie Nielsen and the Zucker Abrams Zucker team mm-hmm. since those guys were working together. So you owe it to yourselves to watch it. Yeah. Um, how about you? Anything for you? Um, started watching SpongeBob again because my kid, you know, can be exposed to you know some other cartoons other than Curious George, and fuck, SpongeBob is such a good show, man. See, I miss Curious George because we constantly have Doc McStuffins on in my house, yeah. and well, you fucking just flew by uh, Llama Llama, so just. Oh, the amount of things that we, like, (laughs) we didn't even really, like, she, like, she, she will dance to Baby Shark, Uh but she does not demand it. (laughs) So, we're a one and done family in this household, because we're not, we're, like, in so many ways, we are not getting this lucky again. Yeah, yeah. We um we have a very loud uh, family above us who has a very small child, and I was hearing Baby Shark at a 
just ridiculous volume this morning. I, I had to wake up my girlfriend and be like, are you fucking hearing this? It's it's crazy. Now, see, um, here's, here's what you do next time that happens. You go upstairs, knock on the door. <laughs> oh, I've done it before. Um, knock on the door and explain to them that her parents were recently mauled by sharks. <laughs> and that hearing that song is a major trigger for her. Yeah. You want to fix might. the problem. You go, you commit. Yeah, that might work. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to say something on a podcast, and that episode is going to be Exhibit A in my trial. <laughs> well, we'll edit it up. It'll be fine. Um, yeah, okay. So, been watching a lot of SpongeBob. SpongeBob is fucking hilarious. It's just as funny as when I was a kid. Did Did you watch SpongeBob growing up? I'm, I know you're I didn't a really couple have years cable. older. So okay. I didn't really have cable, so I kind of missed that bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I kind of I I missed I a lot of the cable that I watched was at grandparents and stuff like that. So, you know, I was always excited if I was, you know, I always hoped I would be at my grandmother's house if I was going to be there on a Saturday. I always hoped to be there by ten o'clock so I could watch The Mask, the animated yeah. series, yeah. or could turn on episodes of Rocco's Modern Life and yeah. at least get through one episode before she saw what was on that TV yeah. and went, I don't want you watching that. Turn that off. Yeah. Um, um, so I watched, yeah. So I, I never got to SpongeBob. Um, I mean, it's it's not a show. It is a show that definitely still holds up. Uh, the first four series, the first five seasons, in my opinion, are great. Um, the first four seasons, Steven Hillenburg was directly involved. He was still on the show. Um, after the fourth season, he left. The fifth season is still very good because it seems like the writers wanted to stay true to writing very clever jokes and having really good animation style the way Steven Hillenburg wanted. And then they mm-hmm. kind of pissed on that, you know, season six and later. Um, well, they probably had regime changes yeah. that made, had major effects on things. Um but no, first four seasons are on Amazon Prime. If you have a fondness for for SpongeBob, if you have a young child, I absolutely recommend putting it on. It's great to have in the background. It's still funny. It's still. I might start putting that on because I try to. It, this may be bad parenting, but I I will often put non-child programming on uh-huh. the TV. Nothing like not horrible stuff. Like I'm not like, you know, I'm not saying they're going all right. All right, kid, you're not old enough for nightmares yet. We're going to watch Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing stuff like But, like, if I was watching Farscape while she was taking a nap and she wakes up, I'll bring her downstairs. I'll leave Farscape on. Yeah. Because she, like, she likes having the TV on. Mm-hmm. She likes having the noise. And she'll, like, to occasionally look over and watch. But she doesn't really pay that much attention to what's yeah. on the TV. Yeah. She, she would rather be playing with her toys. Yeah, if it's not cartoons or something to hold her attention. Then but even then, yeah. like, Doc Mc... You know, we'll put on Doc Mc stuff, and she'll literally, like, she'll take the remote, hand it to me, and go, Doc, yeah. Doc. Yeah. Um, you know, she'll do that. And yeah. Even then, she'll... For a little bit, and then she'll trail off. And then I'll be like, all right, you're not watching. I'm turning on... I'm turning on MST3K. I'm turning on Mythbusters, Farscape. I don't care what, as long as it doesn't have naughty language, so that way I don't get in trouble with your mother. Yeah, no, SpongeBob, it, season one was a little too. 
it's weird to say, but it's a little too smart. Like I started season two. Okay. Season one has one of the funniest jokes though. It's it's Patrick who is you know uni- universally the stupidest character in the show. Yeah, and uh, is San- he's SpongeBob is explaining Sandy to him, and he she he's like she wears a suit of a suit of airs, and Patrick goes. So you mean she puts on airs? And she's talking about how pretentious she is. And it's just a joke that when you're young, that young, it just flies right over yeah. your head. And I'm like, it's not even but that it's, clever, his tone but it's is more clever. Funny. Yeah, it's more his clever tone than is it what's be. funny to a kid. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> um, the other thing that I've watched that uh, I don't know if you've watched before is Vice. Um, I still need to watch. It's on my queue. It I is on Hulu it. now. It it is. Really, really, really damn good. It's it's not something that I think we could make an episode out of necessarily because okay. it does you know very much delve into the realm of politics and mm-hmm. I think we're very like minded on that subject. But I think we like to stay away from the topic of politics most of the time. It, it's better to just leave it out. Yeah. Um, if you are Republican. You know, if you were a Bush supporter, you probably won't like this film because it picks fun at you a lot. Um, it also, it's it's just really clever. It, mm-hmm. it 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 does not stay its welcome. It's probably almost a half an hour too long, um, and I understand why they have it in the film, um, but the last half an hour or so, it's not like we knew this information, but. We're spending a lot of time in areas that we are more familiar with. The most, the most interesting part of the film is the early years of of, of his life and his career. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get into the when he is a part of the Bush administration, it becomes a less interesting film. Um, it's more of an, a, a you know analyzing all of the horrible shit that he did mm-hmm. and all of the insidious ways that they you know, tied Al-Qaeda to Iraq, which, you know, didn't seem to have any ties at the time. Um, Just all the stuff that was going on then. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it very much paints the war as a war for oil. Um, It's a very, very good film. Christian Bale disappears into the role. At 100%, I forget that it is Christian Bale. I can believe that. Like, 10 minutes into the film. Because when he's not in his 20s anymore in the film, he does not fucking look like Christian Bale. Um, Christian Bale is a fantastic actor. He is one of those guys who's a little too intense. And, you know, we point to examples like his blow up on the set of Terminator Salvation. and He's a good actor when you can dangle an Oscar in front of him. (laughs) It's, I mean, that's the the reality. I mean... it's not a lie, but it's like he does an incredible performance. I could have I used I could have used a lot more Sam Rockwell as uh, George W. Bush. Well, yeah, I want to see as much Sam Rockwell and Steve Carell in that movie as they can give me. Steve Carell is fantastic in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, we check on him in two very vast, different periods of his of his life, um, and it is nice to see the change from one period to another um, Steve Carell in the next 
10 years, he will have an Oscar. Oh, absolutely. Whether it's supporting or lead, he will have an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Rockwell is introduced at a party as George W. Bush, and he's very much intoxicated <laughs> in the party. And then the next time we catch up to him, he is a rehabilitated George W. Bush on his way to the White House. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to spend more time with Sam Rockwell playing a inebriated George W. Bush. Yeah. Um, but it is a, is a really good film. Um, do not watch it late at night. I stayed up way too fucking late watching that film. I stayed up to like 3.30 in the morning to finish it. And the last half an hour of that movie is a super cut of just shit to make you feel bad. So have a palate cleanser ready. Watch an episode of Spongebob. Watch it in the middle of the day when the sun is shining and then shut the blinds and curl up in the fetal position. But it is damn, damn good. And I really, really highly recommend it. Alrighty. Well, that's good to know. Um, So don't forget, guys, uh, you can always talk to us. Uh, We've got the... Our Twitter app movies work. We've got our Facebook page that you can look us up at. We've got uh, movies after work at gmail.com. You guys can talk to us, give us recommendations, um, beg us to take good o- to cancel good omens because apparently <laughs> that's everyone's getting asked if they can be the ones to cancel good omens. Uh-huh. So might as well ask us too. Um, you know, and you know, I, I, we have had, uh, you know. Uh, a recommendation here or there for movies um and a big part of it just to bear in mind is that if it's one that we're gonna have to rent Mm -hmm. um do bear in mind we will have to logistically figure out a time that we're able to rent it with with where you know we're not having to rent it again because we didn't get to watch it during the time frame or we started it and didn't get to finish it so Renting renting stuff if it's not available for free on streaming is a, is a bit of a logistical thing for us to to coordinate. So because we both have to do it around the same time, so that yeah. way we can see it together. So we just ask that you bear that in mind when when you recommend some. You know, by all means, recommend stuff that's not on streaming services. Just bear it in mind when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, give us your thoughts on. Any of the trailers that we talked about, or any other Hulu documentaries that you saw, enjoyed? Um, Did you have a movie that you went to that you enjoyed way more than the people that it was demographically aimed for? <laughs> like uh, like we both did? Let us know about it. Yeah. Um, anyway, guys, if, there, uh, <laughs> if there's anything else you want to talk to us about, just hit us up, up on those social media platforms. Um for Movies After Work. I'm Alex Dewis. I'm Thomas Green. Thank you, guys. Have a good work day tomorrow.